Hi. Welcome back to another episode of Appalachian Anglican. I'm Caleb and I'm here with Adam. And I'm Daryl. And today's topic is going to be, I guess it's kind of more, I don't know what to say, interesting, but it's it's just a general question, I guess, because we've been looking around, we've been seeing people from different parts of the country, even to different parts around the world, not to toot our own horns that are listening in. Never shout toot out. your own horn. Caleb. Yeah, never do that. But shout out to everybody. And again, thanks for listening. But it's... uh. What is Appalachia? Appalachia? Appalachian? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Appalachian. Caribbean or Caribbean, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so do want to say a big shout out to the folks that have reached out to us in the past three weeks, I guess. And then the, the faces we met at the conference last week, the Always Forward Conference for the ACNA, the guys that are that are in orders and, and discerning church planting. So it's really encouraging to know that we've got uh, some folks out across the hills and the hollers. That are that are listening because this is the Appalachian Anglican, so we want to talk about that today. Why Appalachia, right? And what is ministry? Um, whether it's church planting, evangelism, exorcism. Would you say, Caleb, that's one of our most listened to episodes at this point? People, yeah, exorcism. people like that one and the Eucharist, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you, those things go together. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, so that's that's great. That's great. Yeah, why Appalachia? And I guess uh, I know Caleb. You usually lead off with the questions, but I'm going to throw this one back at you guys um, and ask that. What what is it about? The Appalachian culture, and, and I realize this goes, the Appalachian Mountains go from Maine to Georgia, right? Right. But we want to zero in on the state that is all Appalachia, which is? West Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia. Entirely. Yes. And so, and, and having said that, we will encompass the outskirts on either side of West, like around the state. So you could take portions of PA, Ohio, Kentucky, Virginia, Maryland. Well, you know, Western Maryland is pretty... I can get down with them. I, I yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. And for our, for the sake of our Western Maryland brother, who's not on the podcast, who today Johnny, you know, he's from out that way. I think he would be happily he he'd happily say he's from the Allegheny Mountains. I'm like, well, that's part of Appalachia, <laughs> right? So anyway, uh, yeah. what what is it about the state about Appalachia that makes us say, you know what, this is worth the time and the energy and the sacrifice? What do you think? I don't know. I think they're all just a bunch of Sigma males out there. <laughs> Did you say Sigma, Sigma males? males? I don't know. I like. I no. I just like looking on the internet for things where it's it, one key rule about the internet is the fact of nothing's really new on there. It's just people just figure out a new way to say something. Or okay. It's like, oh, you're red pilled or you're blue pilled. So that's 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 from the Matrix. I got it, that reference. Well, it's yeah, no. kind of. But it, 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 it's all the same. It doesn't matter. It's it, people just come up with a new way to say the same thing, and they want to act like it's it, it's not. People have been talking like this for years, you're, but you're not a snowflake. Yeah, <laughs> we heard that last week from Ken and Dan. Yeah, what is uh. What is a sigma male? You got me on that one. I think sigma is like supposed to be like lone wolf. I don't. I'm just waiting until like I get old lone enough wolf. that I don't actually have to care about most of these yeah, things. Yeah, your alpha, your your beta, and then you know. I mean, the next letter is gamma. I mean, they they switch it up. I don't know why. Just, There's like rhyme or reason. It's some some intellectual somewhere started giving them Greek letters. Okay, unfortunately. So you're saying that the the key the, one of the big emphases in Appalachia is the the lone gray wolf well, in the I don't mountains know. or something? Well, I think isolate. I think that's 100 percent correct. Isolation. Yeah, people yeah. kind of want to be more inde- independent. Definitely, where it's like I don't know. You kind of like I don't know. The West Virginia mindset's like what's me's and mines, you know? Yeah, I don't. Not exactly. You know, like I did. That, but. I did see some information on a, a group of people that were Irish. African and Native American descent that were all like family units. 
in the southern, not in West Virginia, just like outside of West Virginia into Virginia, Tennessee, in the Appalachian Mountains, that were like a community cut off from the fight between North and South uh, that had been existing and that no one knew how long they'd been there living that way. Well, you know, um, I forget the name of the, the family group that was there. Well, I say the people. The people group was much bigger than a family. That's something I should look back up. Sorry yeah. about that. I, mean, I know you shared that with us in one of the – I think you, you shared it with us. It was really interesting seeing their unique culture and really mix. Yeah. Well, you know, the linguists say that the – that that hillbilly dialect, you know, that yeah. the way you speak in, in Appalachia is probably closer to the English that was spoken at the time of the colonies – <laughs> than what's spoken anywhere else because it's changed so little, you know? that That's interesting because, you know, it gets – you're not very intelligent if you say y'all or all y'all. But I find, you know, uh, and some people don't like it, but when you try to go – you go to translate your Greek New Testament and you just translate you as you, okay, but when y'all is translated as you and all y'all is translated as you – you kind of miss the, the the impact, you know what I mean? So there's something to be said for mountain speak. No, it's it's, it's effective. Well, you know, yeah. it, it says something different. Because am I talking to you or am I talking to y'all? Like, there's a big difference. Yeah, it makes a you know, or all y'all. Well, I just think it'd be funny if you had like a episode on a TV show where it's like they go back in time to England and they sit there and like, oh, they're gonna be like. Hello that, and everybody's like, "Hi y'all, how you doing?" <laughs> like, wait a minute, this isn't right, is it? That, that is though the, the 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 you and y'all is very important in Matthew sixteen, when Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter. He gives that to him. To I say to you, it's singular to you, but then he says uh, in chapter eighteen, he says uh, to y'all when he's talking to the twelve. So. The binding and the loosing, the exercise of the keys, is given then to the apostles, to the bishops. You know, so it's important. I mean, as much as we're making jokes about it, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. important stuff. Um, but there's got to be more than sigma males. Uh, <laughs> well, and, but I, I think there's there's something we said about that isolating factor, and I think especially when you look at West Virginia and even what really separates, because you go down between uh, the eastern border of West Virginia with Virginia. There's a major geography, geographical change uh, that happens in just uh, how the mountains are formed. Yeah. And like, it, it's crazy because I was just down there um, this summer and we go down many, a few times a year down to the southern part. And, you know, there's two ways to do it cut right through the gut of West Virginia or to take pretty much a highway down through Virginia and then enter into West Virginia. Yeah. And ironically enough, it's faster to go around the state to get to different parts of it. And as soon as you cross the border, the mountains go from like in Virginia, there's such these beautiful views and it's these rolling Skyline hills and driving, mountains. Right? Yeah. 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 And then once you hit West Virginia, <laughs> that is when you get into, as you say, the hills and hollers where it is up, down, up, down, up, down. And the only place to build is if you cut the top off a mountain and the only way to build a road is around a mountain or go through it. You know, right. it, it it's really it's it's really interesting because you can see um, a lot of these ideas and why the culture in West Virginia has been preserved and the pride there in many ways is due to the isolating fact of the geography around. I saw a T-shirt the other day that said West Virginia has been social distancing since 1863. <laughs> I thought that was great, you know, given all the emphasis on social distancing. Yeah, and I mean your gaps between the town get wider, so right. it's not just does it isolate you. From those outside, but it even is isolating for those inside because it's it's really hard to travel you've, thirty you've miles. You've got a Methodist church 
every six miles. Yeah, but yeah, every six miles. <laughs> but those six miles take you twenty minutes to get there. They do. Yeah. They do. That uh, Francis Asbury recorded in his journal that crossing the uh, the mountains. He he called it hell because you figure <laughs> he's doing that on horseback in the rain. Oh, yeah. I mean, how do you how do you even begin to go through that portion of the state evangelistically starting churches? And that's what Asbury and his circuit riders did. Um, it's incredible. It's just incredible because, like you said, even in a car now, it's still, you know, if you go out to uh, Canaan Valley, which looks like Canaan for those who have never heard or seen it, uh, Canaan Valley is the highest elevated valley ele- this side of the Rocky Mountains. So you go out that way, and that's about two and a half hours from here. It used to be longer till they put in the new highway mm-hmm. going out of Winchester. But you get out there. And you go up to the top of Dolly Sods, and you got Alaskan tundra. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. the climate up there. It's uh, four was it forty seven hundred feet above. The problem is all the wind turbines they put out there. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of people who like that stuff, but for those of us who like to go and look at nature unscathed, uh, you know, if you want, I know we're kind of getting off the point yeah. here, but if you want more cement buildings, go down to where those are. But if you'd like to go someplace where the air is fresh and the water is clean. And the wind is howling in your ears. I mean, it's in that area is so diverse that actually that was a uh, training center for the the military for the army. Yeah, World War uh, Two because yeah. it was it's just so. Oh, you want to train in some rocks? Go there. You want to train in the woods? Go there. You want to train in some like bald mountains and the winds blowing? Go there. Well, we've been working. It's it's ca- tough to get it nailed down, and hopefully we can get it done uh, next year. Doing a men's camping thing up there on the sods. We'll take some guys up from here, and if we got anybody out across the state who's listening to this right now that would want to connect and meet us to camp, you know, email Caleb. Right, Caleb? Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, like, the other thing I think when you start looking at Appalachia, like we talked about the geography, but what, what characteristics within the people group does right. that make? And when you are isolated, typically that creates an independent spirit. Because yes. not out... What is the saying? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Right. So it's not like I want to be independent just to be independent. Like, you know, you meet some people like, I'm, I'm just really practicing my independence. So no, it's like if you aren't independent and can't figure things out yourself, uh, you die. Or, yeah, like, yeah, or, yeah. You're, or you're homeless or you don't have a vehicle or, you know, like you start looking at all these things. Right. Independence and creativity is what you're yes. saying. So yeah. it, they're just organically developed due to the, you know, the isolation. I think it's interesting because then – what you usually find with these, like this type of people, and even I think back to like my family, like in the past, like it's kind of changed in our area here where it's become more. We're so close to DC. Yeah. yeah. So, but like, you know, if you think about like 60 years ago, it wasn't like it, we had all these different mindset, even up on the mountain where like you have your stories of uh, cops will go up there because like, I'm not messing with these people. There was no highway here. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like that. Or it'd be like, you know, oh, they shut my power off to my, comp- like whatever, because I didn't pay my electric bill. Like, so I know where the box is, break the log and turn it back on. <laughs> where it's like <laughs> that kind of mindset. Or call your cousin, you know. But it does come up to that. It's like two things that really happen. It's like what you were saying, Adam. It's like that innovative spirit like you have to figure out something new because otherwise you're not going to make it and it's also that aspect of um you kind of get a really good sense of reality or like you kind of see what really is happening or like what's actually real here and that's why i joke about the whole thing like the internet and everything like that everybody try to put all these different labels and terms always trying yeah. to make sense but it's it doesn't really matter like there's still the base things that you're talking about anyway and those things really don't right. change but you kind of do get that mindset where it's like you ask them what's important and you it makes it reminds me a lot of times how like I try to put extra stuff into things and try to make it extra special or think of all these different things where it's like, nah, these are kind of the basics. Like this is what's necessary. Yeah. So I that's like one of the things too I think of is like when you start talking to someone 
from an Appalachia, 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 Appalachia. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say both because I don't know which one's the better it's, one. It's, it's indicative, <laughs> whatever's least actually, offensive. It's indicative of where you're at in the state. People where up are here you say Appal- uh, um, Appalachia, but the rest of the state says Appalachia. Yeah. I lived in Huntington, had a church in Ashland, Kentucky, but I lived in Huntington for a year. They did not think I was a native. Well, technically, I'm not, but I've been here since I was like seven years old. Right? right. They didn't think I was a native because I do not have an accent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But finish your point, buddy. What were you saying? Oh, well, that's what I was just saying. Where it's like, and then if you go and you have that mindset of people, because I think when you're going to minister, you want to try to, you know, right. understand the people. You know, that's kind of the, a big thing you should do. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like a professional minister. I'm just a, you know. But, you, but you've got ministry code. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things you have to keep. And that's why... Even when you think of like why minister to Appalachia, Appalachia, you have to think of that mindset of like uh, Anglicanism is something that's very good because it gets down to the basics and it gets down to like actually standing off to things. Because then when you think of what does matter, it's like, well, this is what matters, the scripture, this, that. And how do you like form that relationship, you know? And I think Anglicanism does a really good job at doing that where it's like these are the things that matter. And even open it up to like, well, these things also could matter, but let's mainly focus on these things because everything else will form out of it. That's yeah. the point I was trying to make. I think you see creativity and independence in a guy like Chuck Yeager who breaks the sound barrier. For those who don't know it, the man who broke the sound barrier, the first one to do it, was a West Virginian named Chuck Yeager, and he had cracked ribs when he did it. <laughs> so you talk about that risk – Talk about the working through the pain and talking about setting a record for something that hadn't been done before. And, and um, you know, I don't know particulars about the man's life, but I think there's a microcosm of what we're talking about at Appalachia at its best, right? Mm-hmm. So you can think about it like that or even the, the, the guys that work the coal mines. I mean, you got to have either a healthy amount of uh, self-loathing to do that <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you're healthy – that sense of, um, you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go do this. Like I'm gonna go into the heart of the earth, and I'm gonna live there in the dark, and that's how I'm gonna take care of my family. Yeah. And I tell you guys, I think that's part of what's going on with the, um, you know, the, that opioid epidemic we had a couple years back. Well, it's still here. I mean, I, the statistics are terrible. I think a lot of that has come from that independent sense where, even when large portions of the state are economically poor, they're still proud. They still work. They still sweat to, to do what they can to care for their families and whatnot. You take away that ability. Well, then you've got you've got that independent sense of pride and self-reliance, but you can't be self-reliant anymore. And with the, the, the decline of the strength of the church across the board, even though a lot of West Virginians still would claim a church of some kind, uh, statistically speaking, but you take away that ability, what steps into that void? You know, and then the drug companies, and I don't know, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but the amount of you know painkiller pills they were sending into the state, you know, the I forget the exact figures, but it was it was millions and tens of millions yeah. of them, and we've only got 1.7, 1.8 million people in the entire state. So I think you can see the ups and the downs there, right? You've got this that strong sense of independence. Uh, don't tell me what to do. What's the state motto? Mountain is always free. Yeah. yeah. And it's in Latin, right? So, I mean, Montani Semper Libre, Mountaineers are always free. But then at the same time, here's the generosity that we're going to extend to help you if you need it, help you up. Yeah, I think you kind of hit on the in the midst of all this independence, 
is loyalty, commitment, and community. Yeah. To those that are yours, you know, your life is, is, isn't even the limit. Like the limit is beyond, like people will literally to death take care of those that are theirs. Well, because if you are, your family has been reared for generations on the side of a hill or in a holler and you've been, you know, in, in lack. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons to illustrate the point why we have so many ghost stories in the state. And all those ghost stories revolve around people who died in the winters because they were cold and starving. Like, where did that come from? But that cultural experience, like go down a smoke hole, you know, in this smoke hole it was like the, there was a winter that came through there that was so bad that everybody that lived down in that valley died. Isn't that right? I believe that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's smoke hole, uh, smoke hole caverns that's around Petersburg. Anyway, there's just so much in the state, you know. Um, on that side that creates these these background stories. Um, uh, you mentioned loyalty. Mother's Day comes from West Virginia. Really? Yeah. The origins of Mother Day, Mother's Day comes out of Appalachia. So there's that, you know, uh, emphasis and that strength of the people. And when you go to do ministry in the state with these kinds of people, with this kind of mindset, you've got a challenge because you've got to win over people who are innately – um, suspicious, we'll say it that way, suspicious of outsiders because the probability that you've come here to work is low. The probability that you've come here to take advantage of us is high. Right. That's 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 the, the issue. And there are people that they don't want to do that. They want to stay where things are comfortable. They don't want to go out where, you know, you've got to cut down the trees to build your house. Now, a lot of that's changing across the state. And we're just kind of talking about the more traditional way it's been. And I say changing because if you go over to um, 79, coming out of Morgantown, going down to Charleston, I mean, you got a whole big corridor to, out there. NASA's out there now. Uh, a lot of tech stuff that's going in because of Morgantown and WVU. Right. right. I mean, the medical centers that have come up here, a big deal, right? Uh, but if you so Wheeling, Charleston, Huntington, Morgantown, look at some of these bigger cities in the state. You know, you've got some really good um, education you can get there. Not just parties, but education. You know, football. <laughs> right? um, but I think that's a good, I think it's a good assessment, you know, kind of the, the climate of the of the person, generally speaking. Yeah, it's getting interesting. Even I think it's pretty cool how, because I'm, I mean, I'm in college right now. And even the, the amount of money that's getting thrown at uh, these degrees even for education is, it's there. Like West Virginia definitely is trying to do that. I see. Like even for me, like I'm on a grant where it's basically like helping me to get my, I'm starting off with my associates and trying to go into my bachelor's next. But yeah. it's like most of my tuition is paid for, and it's because of the state actually helping, Yeah, which is pretty crazy. Of course, it depends on the degree you want. So, I mean, if you want to go for basket weaving, they're not going to Underwater really, basket yeah, weaving. Yeah, underwater. Right. But if you want to go to like uh, computer science, you know, they're, they're wanting to pay for that because yeah. they're understanding. And the need's going to even rise, too. I tell you, if you want to see a good picture of the Appalachian mindset right now, and I realize this is, one, it's imperfect, and this is not a uh, political um, endorsement. So let me let me throw out that caveat. This is not a political endorsement. Right. There is one person, there's one senator right now because of what's going on in the news this week who happens to be the man who's holding the cards as to what happens legislatively in DC. And that senator happens to be from West Virginia. And he's saying no. So if people want more details on that, they can look it up. But I think that when you take a state that's our size uh with the resources that we've got and and the culture that has been here traditionally you have to have some sense of conviction about yourself right? to say to a group of people who you know are going to run you through the dirt 
and make things make things up about you to say no to them. And I think that is characteristic of Appalachian mentality traditionally and speaks to the Methodist circuit riders, the preachers. Um, we obviously want to distance ourselves from snake handling. <laughs> but it's still legal in the state. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can you can bring a box of wipers, not this church, but you can do that in some of the churches, and uh, you know it's still legal. How do you get a mentality that's okay with that? I I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I I have a hard time even like wrapping my mind around how to get there. I don't even but, know why you want to. I don't. Well, it just the point I bring it up is it speaks to that that fierce sense of you're not going to tell me what to do. But if you convince me that what you're saying is right, I'll lay down my life for it. And you go look at the Scotch-Irish temperament, you know, and all those fights amongst the picks. I mean, uh, was the picks, right? Wasn't it the picks or was it Gaul? Who was it that Caesar stopped fighting thousands of years ago? Oh, man. He, he, I know he, he went and conquered Gaul, but I think it was the picks. Was it the picks that the, the Romans couldn't beat and that's why they built Hadrian's Wall? It's something like that. And when you look at the, the Scotch-Irish ancestry for the majority of, of Appalachia these past several centuries, you know, you can kind of see that um, even geographically, you know, the, the mountains in West Virginia and the mountains in, in parts of Ireland and Scotland, you know, it's, it's kind of not, it's kind of bizarre is too, too big a word, but you can see here these people settling and there's places over there across the Atlantic and then settling here. You kind of see very, a lot of similarities. Yeah, definitely. I would say the fire. There's, you do usually have. That's why I think of it. The fire inside most of the people definitely in West Virginia too, where it's. I even think I because I, I always keep thinking back to my family. It's like I remember back with family, like they'd fight each other a lot, and yeah. like there'd, it'd be like a gravel road, and they just fight each other right there. But it's like right there. It's like a Thanksgiving thing, or whatever. It's like all right, let's go back inside. It's time to eat. You know, my, my, <laughs> it's uh, like what? My 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 grandfather. Uh, grew up in mid-Maryland, but his grandfather was from southern West Virginia, right? So, and I've done some family tracing, and you can trace the family back to West Virginia from Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that stuff now, but uh, the temperament, you know, kind of carries over. So, there was one time, uh, my wife and I, she had come down to my grandparents' house for Christmas, Thanksgiving, something like this. She was visiting, uh like we weren't we weren't married yet. She was just coming down to see my family, and something was going on in the living room, right? And Pop jumps up out of the chair, and he says, "Hit him!" I don't know who he was talking to, or what he was talking about. Pop's hit him. Whoever's on the ground's wrong. <laughs> and she looked at me, big eyed. I said, "I just Pop. Don't worry about it." <laughs> but if you and she's she's a native Appalachian more so than I am. But I think it just goes to what you're saying. Like there's this whole thing, you know. There's a temperament, you know. Yeah. Uh, that if you are aware of it, you realize that hey, this is this is camaraderie. This is not violence. Right now, violence we we do want to deal with. I'm not trying to give blank. Right, not trying to say like the proper thing to do is you know if you have a dispute with someone, go ahead and start fighting them. Right, like, right. We're not we're not <laughs> advocating that gravel road. Yeah, but I can tell you, everybody that's from Appalachia that just heard that comment was not offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they got they all know they all know. You know, it's like uh, anyway. That's yeah. how it goes. Well, even like the thing I'm saying is like. When you think of the ministry mindset, you know, you can get the guy to stop fighting. But it's like there is that tenacity about them. Right. And so then when you start to think of like I always think of the moral nature where I think we had a conversation we we're thinking about. And I was like, what do you think about the phrase that the ethical man knows it's wrong to cheat on his wife, but the moral man will not? Yeah. And I think of the temperaments of a moral man. There is that certain tenacity or that certain thing within them. It's like I am not going to and I don't want to. It's like something that 
at least for me, it's something that burns inside you where it's like, I can't do this and I'm not going to do this because right. I know it's wrong. And it's like, because for that man, it's like someone told me it's wrong. So I guess we all agree to it. That's the mindset of the moral man where it's like, I can't. Yeah. It's like whatever that tenacity, whatever that fire, like that fight in you. Right. And I do see that a lot in, um, I would definitely say in, in this culture, like a lot where that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what happens when the gospel then comes into the culture and the people come to Christ? And when you think about that historically, you cannot escape the absence of churches planted all across the sides of the hills right. and in the hollers. We're going back generations now, but you cannot escape that. You can't escape the robust gospel hymns that were sung, the outside preaching in, in, in the fields and by the creeks, the baptizing in the rivers. You cannot escape that. And it is lamentable that we've watched that decline you know, for, for a long time. So when we say here on the podcast, Appalachian Anglican, we're not looking to go revive in a revival sense because I think that's going to be really difficult in a lot of places because revival, there's got to be an ember to to restore. And I think for large portions of the state, like parts of the country, you've got churches in them. They've got, you know, 50 people, 35 people in them. And it's three generations of two families that basically compose, comprise those churches. And may the Lord move on them as he will. But here what we're talking about is how do you go do ministry and you're planting seeds, knowing that the rugged soil here is a perfect picture of the work it takes to move rocks to make the soil viable. Right. And I think that's where we are again. And you need a measure of grit, like you're saying, Caleb, a measure of determination. Like it, it does, okay, all right, I'm, I'm on the back of my horse going over top of this mountain. And this, this rainstorm is like hell. But guess yeah. what? I'm about to set the trumpet to my mouth and proclaim the word of God or sound the word of God, which is an, an example Asbury used as he got older. When he got old, they asked him, you know, uh, if there was something that bothered him. And he said, yes. He said, it's all these professing Christians who don't serve God. They're all backslidden. And if I was young again, I'd set the trumpet to my lips and let sound a call that no one could mistake. And I think that's where we are. Yeah. How do you preach and teach with fervor? And build community, knowing that the the world shifted. So we're joking about the internet. Well, you got the internet all over Appalachia now. May not always be the best, but it's there. <laughs> Win for Elon Musk to really perfect that satellite. Exactly. Right. We got you the know. big satellite dishes down in the middle of the state where it's listening for, <laughs> for aliens. Um, you know, and and I I think like we're we're talking about getting the gospel to them. And I think if you look at like what we were looking at is, well, how do we go back and plant churches? Because this one church that is there comprised of like a family or two, right? it's, it's not for whatever reason, I'm not here to cast judgment, you know, but so we're looking at, you know, circuit riders, church planning. And I think what's very challenging for us is that the paradigm for modern church planning and really the last like 15, 20 years has all been like city based. It's all urban. It's, it's, it's urban. And because, there is a difficulty. There's a difficulty because when you're looking at it and you're an organization and you're thinking, well, best bang for the buck, like, right. how do you, like, you, you do go to the urban areas. Right. But however, like, that's not Appalachia. Like, that's not, that's not West Virginia. No, because even our like, urban it doesn't area, work. Right. Even our urban areas are rural. Yeah. Right. I started throwing the phrase around some years back, city Appalachia. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> it might have some buildings, you know what I'm saying? But it's not city uh, in the same way. I mean, Pittsburgh's a different animal, um, you know, because that's Appalachia, right? It's a city. It's old steel. But that is, you come, come out of that Wheeling area. Come on down further into the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charleston and Pittsburgh are not the same place or go either side. And there's not much on either side. I mean, the middle of the state's wide open right now. And let's plant churches. How do we do that with the changing dynamic, the rise of education, um, the rise of, I, w- I don't want to say youthfulness. I mean, you got hotspots for that. But I think the average age in like West Virginia still has the oldest average population amongst the states. So how do you create new churches that are viable in this situation? And I think it goes to the every hill, every holler. Our buddy um, Jay, Pastor Jay Morgan down in Jesse, West Virginia, that's around Beckley. He's got a church down there at the Appalachian uh, Prayer Network. And I was down there a couple years ago with Alex, who wanted to be on with us today, but maybe next week. Uh, We were down there with them, and they're mobilizing people. They've been praying all over the state for a few years now. It's fantastic. We love the the intercession side and the church planting side. He's got a church down there he planted. It's wonderful. Um, But we want to – how do we stoke those fires and join in that intercession – and then see churches planted across the state that are that are holding to the apostolic tradition and the forms that have come down to us through our Anglican history. And I think one of the big ways for us to do that, to build community, is not preaching on the side of the corner. Asbury used to do that. He thanked God the pieces of dead cat were thrown at him when he was preaching in Berkeley Springs. Um, <laughs> and that was in the, in the late 1700s. Uh, so it's not it's not preaching on the, on the sidewalk. And it's not... Let's go in and gather a launch team for, for a year and a half and then launch a church that's going to be 700 people. That Could you imagine a church of 700 people in a county that's only got 6,000? <laughs> the, the dynamics yeah. got to shift. It's got to, it's got to be different. So I think, and for anybody that's endured with us thus far, one of the best ways to begin building and planting new churches across West Virginia is something that uh, we're calling Compline and Campfires. Compline and campfires. Compline is basically nighttime prayer out of the prayer book on page 57 of the Book of Common Prayer 2019 is the Compline service. And it's essentially a greeting, the confession of sin, a psalm, and um, a couple prayers. You got, and the scripture readings, by the way, uh, are small, like they're super small and they don't change because the idea is that you would have them memorized if you do this often enough. So, I mean, one of the longer ones is from Hebrews 13, you know, and it's it's only a few verses. This is Compline. It's very, very simple, very simple, and is beautifully, can be beautifully done, well done around a campfire. So, if we got somebody that says, hey, I would love to have an Anglican community in my town, but we don't have one. Well, do you have three friends? Do you have two friends? Do you, can one play the guitar? Can one uh, break out his his jug? And blow across the top of it to get a little, you know, a little uh, granny hillbilly sound or something. I mean, there's there's ways to to build community. You get a campfire, make some s'mores, play the guitar, sing some songs, and celebrate Compline. You do that, you know, once a week or twice a month or something. Compline and campfires, and it's a way to begin organically seeing what grows, so that you're not coming in with a giant business model behind you, but you know that you've got a full-time job and you're working at the pharmacy downtown that still serves special made sodas with ice cream. You know, you're getting floats and malts <laughs> and stuff down there. Uh, there, That's in the state still. You know, you're doing something like that and you're trying to figure out what does the Lord want me to do? Here's a simple way 
to start something that can have significant fruit and will be a great community exercise. And if you give yourself, you know, three months, four months, five months, and that's what you do when you gather people and you just pray together, Compline, and you are around a campfire and it gets, you know, it gets where you got to go inside, do it in somebody's house or something. I mean, there's lots of ways to do that. And if we've got anybody who's interested in that, shoot us a link, give us a call. I mean, I've been talking to a couple of fellows across the state in the areas that, you know, this may be a possibility for them. And I, we, I would imagine we have some others who would think about it too, but it's an entirely different model of church planting than coming in and trying to launch. Because here, for those who aren't familiar with that, how do you plant a church in, in the past 40 years? Okay. Church growth uh, principles here, very similar to how you build a Walmart or start a Starbucks, McDonald's. Okay. Very similar. But here's traditionally, I say traditionally in the past 40 years, how to plant a church. You get a launch team. You get a group of people that are going to help you. You got a musician, you got a kids minister, and you got somebody to keep books. That's what you get, right? There's your team. You're, you're like your work team. Then you get, you know, uh, 20 to 50 people that are part of your, quote, what's called a launch team. And you send out mailers about your church to 14,000 houses in the neighborhood, in the county, in the area. Again, how do you do that if you're in a county that's got 6,000 people? But you contact 14,000 people knowing through the mail uh, and Facebook and stuff, knowing that you're only going to have a certain percentage show up, probably 400. So you contact 14,000 to get 400 people present at your launch service six weeks after the mailers go out, okay? 400 people show up. The next week, 200. The next week, 100. So that after six weeks, your church has gone from, say, 50 people to now um, 90 to 110, and that's your cruising altitude, and you keep your activities and your ministries going that are very focused and narrow for the first 18 to 24 months so that you've got a church of 175 in three years. That's kind of how that shakes out. You can't do that in large portions of our state. And we want to see 110, 111 ministries started in West Virginia in the next 20, 30 years because we've got 55 counties in the state. It, it would be wonderful if in every county there's two ministries, whether that's a full-blown church or a Compline Campfire kind of meeting that fun- functions as a mission, uh, missions outreach kind of thing, where people are building community, they're praying together. And if that's the case, and if we got somebody listening, that's what they want to do. Let us know. We'll connect with you and make sure you can receive the Eucharist or something once a month. I mean, there's lots of ways we can, we can do this. But I think part of that Appalachian mind, right? That fierce independence and we can do this and we'll step out and take a risk. We'll break the sound barrier with busted ribs. That's something to think about. Yeah. And I remember when I first heard about a lot of this, I was really skeptical. I'm like, I don't think that'll work. I think, I don't think the liturgy is congruent. You know, these were all things that I was thinking. Uh, and then once you finally get to the point that you are a church, uh, the, all the, the vestments will drive people away. And um, I was wrong. Um, and, and one of the, the, the proof of that is Hope Church in Charleston with yeah. uh, Father Derek and then um, Mission Hope in Beckley. And um, I was actually on the, I was on the phone yesterday um, with one of the deacons down there. Um, Great. And it, it was really encouraging because I kind of was asking him a lot of these, really it was just controversies that I thought in, in myself and in my own mind, I'm like, this will never work. And um, the the mission in Beckley is unique because it was a, a few families that got together and started to do morning and evening prayer. Okay. And then that's how it started. They're even looking now at uh, some other families joined in, but we're, you know, we're talking about isolation. Some families are coming in 
20 to 30 minutes to do evening prayer, morning prayer. It's becoming difficult. And so now they're in the process of multiplying and spreading now further away That's great. from Beckley. And just listening to their experience, and even if you haven't heard our, our podcast uh, with Father Derek and talking about his church and his experience in, in the heart yeah. of our state, listen to that. And one of the things he said during that um, was that church is weird. Like no matter how, like you know, like we're here talking about a, a guy from two thousand years ago, and you know, eating his flesh and drinking his right. blood. Like, come on, like the objective weirdness yeah. is there. Like, is it objectively weird? Like, I don't care who you are. Like, it, it when you start thinking about it from an outsider, and you know, you start looking at this, and none of this is is really like people come to church and expect weird. Yeah. So yeah, it's, something different, right? Exactly. Yeah. Something different. When I say weird, out of out of the norm or um, contrary to what would even be believed and thought by mainstream culture. So, but seeing that and talking, having those conversations, like these aren't these aren't just ideas. Like these aren't right. just theories anymore. Right. Like we're starting to test these throughout the state, and really, I think what's happening is we have men. Like even here, we're still not as remote. We you know we are different than the rest of the state here in the Eastern Panhandle. But you have men and churches and this other parts of the state that are, in my opinion, are doing pioneering missions work yeah. for today because there is no handbook for rural church planning. Let alone Appalachian. Exactly. Right? Right. Like you throw all these things and they are, they're doing it and the, the Lord is moving um, through it. And a lot of they're being faithful to the, the traditions and the teachings of the church, yeah. especially, you know, with the Anglican flavor. You know, that goes to something because a lot of people, when they think about church planters, they think about 20-somethings or maybe mid-30-something guys with tight jeans and either tucked or untucked flannel and <laughs> sunglasses and their their leather satchel that has uh, their iPad, their their Mac, their iPhone, and their iBible. I don't know. <laughs> Apple Watch, I forgot about that. Yeah. All, all, right. All of that stuff kind of comes in there and his <laughs> office is at Starbucks. Most of the state doesn't have a Starbucks, and most of the state would look at you like, why are you wearing flannel with skinny jeans? Like, flannel's cool. The brawny guy, we like we, we have logging here in the state. The only point I'm making is this, uh, trying to build that caricature, because it's, it's, everybody knows, right? Uh, <laughs> may or may not be true. Yeah. Because <laughs> right. uh, we do like flannel. We do like flannel around here. But you can start Compline and Campfires kind of meeting, or even morning and evening prayer, and be 65 years old. Nobody said that if you're going to start ministry and do church work uh, from the ground up, you've got to be a young guy who rides around on a bike and eats like bean curds or something. I mean, that is not like that, that whole image of what a church planting is in Apple, uh, church planting is in general, but then what that looks like in Appalachia, pitch that. I mean, you may be a flag waving, fire in the blood, charismatic, uh, who lives out in the middle of the state, who just loves to shout Jesus every time you get happy because you just feel the presence of the Lord, but you recognize you need a little bit more form. And so following a, a loosely structured liturgy that's built upon the ancient prayer practices of the church, and you got 15 buddies that want to join you on that, you're thinking, I think that's worth it because I can still be me. See, that's that principle principle of subsidiarity that we have as Anglicans, local governance, Montani Semper Libre, Mountaineers are always free. You've got that you've got that measure of local governance under the authority of the tradition of the church, you know, and 
what does that look like and how do you do that and how do you build those networks with other people? So you've got a group like that on one part of the, of the county and the other part of the county, you have sleepy, quiet, you know, English tea in the afternoon with midday prayer and families that are homeschooling. And the only noise are the children who are too rambunctious while they're coloring their, their pages in midday prayer. You see what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it can be that diverse and still be part of the one part of the church, one, one body of Christ, consciously part. And that's what we're looking at when we think about how do we see more churches come across the hills. Not only is it possible, it's like you said, you know, we see with, with the guys down in the southern part of the state, that organic growth, and then the folks that have been in contact with us here, and then others that I'm sure are feeling the stirring, but they don't know what to do with it. Here are practical steps. Just don't do it alone. Oh, please don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, get connected with us or get connected with, with Hope Church down there in Charleston, and we'll figure out how we can pull this stuff together to keep us, you know, um, floating, you know, in the same river. Yeah, and I think the other thing I, I've, I've noticed um, and is a common theme amongst rural church planning is uh, the need for lay ministers. And, yeah. that, and not just like it is a necessity, like the absolute utter necessity for that to happen right. because um, your ministry throughout the week is happening by lay ministers. Yeah. And then with, but like you said, don't do it alone with the partnership of of priests and other deacon and of ordained ministry. Right. Like coupling those two together. And I think you have to get creative a little bit and what that looks like. You know, you might, you might be receiving the Eucharist every other week or, you know, as it grows, like you start looking at things like that, or, um, you know, you might not have a, you know, a, a vicar there, um, with your group, like as you're, as you're growing or maybe ever because of what it looks like. Um, right, right. Because if you do go for a, a very, like you may never, it's a ministry or a mission or a discipleship community or something that never grows into something beyond that, but it's still a viable, wonderful, fresh expression of the faith. And, um, you know, we've got here, the church we got, we'll see one, two, three, four, five, seven men who are discerning a call to holy orders right now. And we've got three clergy. we got a retired bishop, a retired priest who's an assisting uh, priest here with me, and then myself. So you got you got seven guys that are discerning a call to holy orders. Okay. you got three clergy, right? And then we've got a, um, is it 15 women who are discerning uh, daughters of the Holy Cross service? We've got on site right now, praise the Lord, groups of people discerning these kinds of things. So if we get a call and somebody's out around Morgantown and they say, hey, I want to do Compline and Campfire or I want to do Midday Prayer or I want to do, I'm going to do this every day and I'm going to have a community grow, we can get people out there that can facilitate a Bible study or bring the Eucharist or like there's things that we can do across the state to really watch the Lord do some fantastic work. As the old African proverb says, if you want to travel fast, travel alone. If you want to travel far, travel together. That's great, Caleb. <laughs> Is that real? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, if I just made that up, then I'm, I'm, maybe I'll try to sell it. I don't know. No, I heard that somewhere. <laughs> okay. That's true. I mean, that's beyond t-shirt wisdom. That's a good one. That's a very good one. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the most exciting thing about all of this, and uh, you know, I think we are on the beginning of of this journey and of this process, 
And I, like Caleb was saying, I think the thing that most excites me about all this is the groups of people that the Lord is drawing just organically. Like the to, to tell you how random some of these these friendships are. So the the deacon I was I had quote, a phone quote call. random. Yeah, quote, it's like quote, it feels right. random. Like it, it's like, but it's not. Um, was my my wife went to a very 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 conservative Baptist Bible College in Beckley, West Virginia. Okay. Um, she later you know joined me. Um, she left there and we went, started going to college, got married, whatever. But it was a guy that I met there. He was a like a staunch Baptist. Like I was, I grew up Pentecostal. Like I think that our last conversation, I joke with him about this, is that we uh we were arguing. Uh, about the gifts and whether or not these different charismatic gifts are for today. And now he's in Anglican. Yeah. You know, uh, but I mean, the same and so as... so were you. And so am right. I. That's right. And here we are, like, we, those weren't the things we talked about. We, we had our, our conversation was about our excitement of what the Lord is doing in our state and our passion for what he's doing in Appalachia. Like that, like, we, it didn't matter that he used to be a Baptist. It didn't, doesn't matter that I used to be a classical Pentecostal. Like none of that matters. What matters is that we're Anglican now, and mm-hmm. what do we join over? And one of the things that hit on really hard this weekend at the um, the church planning and growth yeah, um, always forward, always for like it was that the liturgy brings us together, and it's, it was so funny. Like we're talking, and a lot of it, like we're we're talking about these things, the things we're excited about, and we're like literally like just saying the liturgy. Yeah. back and forth to each other. That's cool. And I'm like, I'm like, this is so interesting because this is how we have two people who were very different and here we are united over uh, the liturgy. And I think that's why it's so important when we're saying all oh, campfire and, and compliant or maybe it's morning prayer or maybe it's midday prayer or maybe it's evening prayer. But this, I mean, compliant is so easy. Like, so yeah. you start, look, but we start looking at this and it really does begin to shape the culture. So here we are two different sides of the state, two different backgrounds, two different spiritual backgrounds. And what are we doing? We're, we're united on this, this one idea. And I think that's what's so exciting about looking at reaching our state is that the Lord is uh, bringing people into this, this communion that we're a part of. And we don't want to do it alone. It's a group of independent people that because we've submitted to the authorities over us, we're saying, Hey, Let's do this together. So when you have a bunch of independent people saying, I want to do this together, I think the results are going to be fantastic. Much more powerful. Right. Right. It's, uh, what'd you say, Caleb? It's, it's a group walking together to go further. If you want to travel, <laughs> if you want to travel fast, travel alone. If you want to travel far, travel together. Right. There we go. There we go. And Campfire and Compline or something comparable is a great way to do that because Appalachia is worth the investment. It's 100%. worth the investment. Yeah. Your dollars go further in Appalachia. For those that are outside of Appalachia, <laughs> thinking, do we want to invest in ministry there? Yeah, it does. I mean, take the take how much it costs to rent or own space in D.C. or San Francisco or New York, and realize that you could probably buy an entire county and certain portions of the state with what people are paying for, you know, rent of a condominium somewhere. I mean, it's just incredible. It's worth it. Well, the question was why Appalachia, Appalachia, you know. So I think I think we did a pretty good job answering it. I don't know. I hope. I, I hope. I, I hope that answers it. You know. Uh, we want to see that. We want to see Appalachia blanketed with the gospel. True. And I think if nothing else, um, you know, hopefully we spell it like, hey, we love we love Appalachia. Like right. it's it's who we are. And it's not just for the pepperoni rolls, mm-hmm, which are or delicious. Mothman. 
which is kind of scary. He's coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like we're we're passionate. There's a reason to be passionate, and not just about our region, but like you said, the gospel will reach to the entire region. Right. So that's going to do it for this episode. <laughs> Very good. So I, I think I think I think I was pretty good. Well, once again, uh, I'm Caleb, and I'm here with Adam, and I'm Daryl, and we'll see you all. We'll talk to you all later. Goodbye. <laughs>